Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're living in a time where the mystery of lawlessness, in my opinion, is increasing. We're moving toward the end. It has always been around, we'll see that, but there is an increase. And if we're going to stand and be strong, we have to be a certain kind of people. And Paul's going to tell us what kind of people are those who are not deluded by the work of the enemy in the last days. We want to be people who know the truth and who love the truth. Father God, come now and open the word to us. We want to be fed. We love your word and we want to build our lives on it. So open our ears and eyes to hear and see the things of God. Grace me to speak it faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen. As we read through the book of Revelation, it's sad and rather startling to observe so many people becoming openly hostile to God. There's always been a percentage of the human population who were rebels, who fearlessly defied God and his laws, and even a larger percentage who pretend to serve him but don't. But we haven't seen such blatant hatred of God on a worldwide scale. Yet John tells us the world is headed in that direction. In the last days, God will remove all restraints, allowing spiritual deception to expand on a scale history has never seen. Nowhere do we find a simpler explanation of this terrible moment and its underlying causes than in Paul's second letter to the church in Thessalonica. So today we'll step away from John's revelations to let Paul show us not only what's ahead for the world, but also how each of us can avoid being trapped by the mystery of lawlessness, because this deluding influence is already at work in the world. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians is just to the right of 1 Thessalonians. <laughs> and I help you if you have any trouble finding it, yeah. And uh, just ahead of Timothy. If you get to any of the T's, Timothy, Titus, Thessalonians, you're, you're, they're all bunched together. Chapter 2. Paul was in the city of Thessalonica preaching for only three weeks. And yet he in those three weeks, took the time to teach them, brand new converts, absolutely raw converts, he taught them eschatology. He taught them about the end times, the things that we're studying through the book of Revelation. It's one of the things that encourages me to go ahead and teach the eschatology. We're talking about the things of the last days. Paul had only three weeks with these people, and he taught them how to recognize the Antichrist. I mean, really. And so... It's an important subject. It's something believers need to know. Let's listen to what he says to them here. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. First of all, would you notice two elements there? He says, I'm talking to you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus' return, and our gathering together to him, the rapture. Two elements are both there. That you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us. 
to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. The day of the Lord is a term. It's a Jewish term for these events of the end times. And somebody has either sent a letter or prophesied that the day of the Lord has already come, which leaves everybody, you know, left behind. It, it, was, a, it was an awkward uh, thing and confused everybody. And Paul says, don't think I sent that. And then he's going to give us indicators. He's going to say, here are things that will happen uh, before the Lord comes. So you can assure your heart he's not come yet. Verse 3, let no one in any way deceive you. For it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And I'll explain what that is later on in the notes. And the man of lawlessness, we'll explain who that is, is revealed the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So this man of lawlessness is going to cause people to worship him, and apparently will actually take his seat in a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and declare himself to be God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? That's the verse that just so caught my attention. Three weeks I'm there, but I was telling you these things when I was with you. And you know what restrains him now. See that? Something is holding this man of lawlessness and this mystery of lawlessness back, preventing it from coming to full expression. So that in his time, he will be revealed. There's a moment God will allow this man of lawlessness to have his way, but not yet. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. This spirit is in the world today has been for a long time. Only he who restrains, I'll tell you who that is in a minute, will only do so until he's taken, will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Jesus Christ is going to come and destroy this, and we'll see that in the later chapters of Revelation. That is the one whose coming is in, the, in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. I'm going to show you. We'll look at it. Actually, it's going to occur in chapter 13. We're almost there in Revelation. In fact, we are there. I believe that when Satan is cast out of heaven, he comes to earth and he literally possesses the Antichrist. It is an, it's an icky incarnation, as it were. He, he takes complete control of a very evil man. And the Antichrist himself just disappears, and Satan lives inside him as a husk, as it were. And the miracle powers begin to happen on quite a scale. It's, and I think it's have, it'll, it'll increase toward the end, but boy, when this occurs, there's going to be miracles that are stunning. You can't just follow miracles. Amen? You've got to know the word. You've got to know what you're doing or you're going to be taken in. If you're naive and just say, well, there's power there, so it must be God, you're going to go down the yellow brick road and you'll end up at Oz, not heaven. <laughs> huh. Now that's quotable, isn't it? <laughs> <clears throat> verse 10. Now, verse 10, 11, and 12 are what we're going to minister later on. I'm going to give you a, a rapid tour of some theology, and then we're going to bore in on how this applies to our life. But listen to the, verse 10. And with all, he'll come with power 
signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness. Hmm. For those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. Say love of the truth. Yeah, they re- so the, the people who did not receive the love of the truth are going to be deceived. In other words, those who do love the truth won't be deceived. That's what's going to make the difference whether people are deceived as this deluding influence comes over the world. For this reason, God will send upon them. Now notice, God is actually going to send it at some point, a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false? You say, I didn't think God did stuff like that. Well, there you go. He, he does, actually, and there has been all the way through the Bible a point where he will ratify what people do, and we'll see that in a minute. In order that they may all be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. That's why they didn't believe the truth. Now, let's just go back and look at a couple of the terms. Number one... The word apostasy. People have done various things with that word, wondered what it meant. Basically, Paul's talking about a massive turning away from God to worship the Antichrist. There will come, at the end of time, a massive turning away. Jesus talks about it at length, describes it. Uh, There's no question it's going to happen. Uh, An apostasy, well, let me describe the word. The Greek word means this, to, to to stand away from. Uh, it just does. If I were standing beside you and I deliberately stepped away from you, I have apostasis. I have stood away from you. I have apostatized. In the book of Acts, they're writing Paul. And they said the charges against you, Paul, are that you, it, we are, it's being said around the world that you have encouraged Jews to apostatize from Moses to abandon his teachings and forsake them. That's what it means. Deliberate, willful, knowledgeable, abandoning, forsaking of a relationship. So Paul says there will come a great abandoning of the true and living God, and people will turn to a false God, a great, ugly turning uh, prior to the coming of the end. Jesus warns about it. Matthew 24, Paul warns about it. He says, in later later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So there'll be a deluding influence. People will believe lies as the end draws near. I want to look at the the term man of lawlessness in verse 3 and 4 for a minute. Who is it? It is the Antichrist. The word lawlessness means this, the attempt to overthrow God's government to reject the will of God, substituting the will of self. It's a rebellion. It's a revolution. We don't want God to rule over us anymore. They're lawless. They're rebels. The man of lawlessness is the man who promotes a rebellion against the true and living God. And he actually will. The mystery of lawlessness is something else. It's a spirit. The ever-present spiritual influence that tries to lure us toward lawlessness. And it's been in the world all along, pulling us away from submitting to God. That's what you repent of (laughs) right there. What is its source? What's the source of this thing? The ultimate spiritual source of the problem is Lucifer, a fallen archangel who longs to be worshipped himself. 
That's the whole deal. He competes with God for worship. And he hates God. And he is determined that the human race will worship him. And so the battle goes on. And this spirit of lawlessness keeps appearing. Last summer, I had uh, an infestation in my front lawn of mushrooms. They were neither good to eat nor smoke. They were just plain old mushrooms, and they came in a, in a ring, you know. And I tell you, you can't get those things with a, with a sledgehammer. It, I pull them out, and I'd spray some stuff on them and all of that, and boink, 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 they come right back up. The spirit of Antichrist, this, this thing that rises up and, 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 and wants to politically force people to worship a false god, it's this pull. It has popped up like mushrooms all through history. It isn't just once at the end. You're not going to see one big Antichrist at the end. You have seen Antichrists, and I'll tell you the first one in a minute, you've seen Antichrists all the way through history. They keep popping up. Big ones and little ones. Some get a real get, get going. Some of them just a little bit. But you can see the basic approach, the basic spirit, because alt underneath it all is Satan. It is his spirit trying to express itself and come to this place of being worshipped and of forcing by brute force the world to worship him. At the midpoint of the tribulation, I've already mentioned, and we're right there as we go through the book of Revelation, chapter 12 and 13, we're right at the midpoint of the tribulation. The final seven years, we're at three and a half. Satan will come to earth and possess the Antichrist, demanding that the world worship him. Before that, the Antichrist will promote another religion hostile to Judaism and to Christianity. And I'll show you that when we get to chapter 17. Jesus calls this moment the abomination of desolation. Daniel speaks of a mouth uttering great boasts, the little horn, and says that he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. But God has restrained him. God has restrained him. What is it that restrains him? I think you see it in, in, in Revelation chapter 6. It's, and I don't think it was the four living creatures, I suppose, because I don't know what they do. Uh, they praise the Lord. But the voice of one will say, Come. And then all of a sudden, a rider on a white horse goes out with a crown and a bow, conquering into conquered. It's the Antichrist. Suddenly, the hand is released, and the Antichrist spirit goes out. Come, and a black horse goes out, and a rider with scales and, and, and famine and, and, uh, and brutal sieges of cities begins to take place as the Antichrist conquers his kingdom. <laughs> Come, and a red horse goes out, and there's broad spread death. God has withheld this spirit until a time Believe it or not, we're living in the good old days. You look around and you see all the bad stuff and you think, come on, there's horrible stuff. Hey, you ain't seen nothing yet. Isn't that an awful thought? These are the good old days. And that's one reason that you and I ought to be appreciative of the time we live in and use it well. Don't just look at the problems. It's going to get a lot worse. So let's enjoy the freedoms and the resources and the opportunities that we have now because we are right now in a blessed generation. Though it may seem bad now, we are living in a time when God is act actively restraining evil. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. You do not want to meet this guy. I mean, if we have to be in those days someday or whatever, but we're not there yet and I'm glad of it. He limits the enemy's power in order to prevent him from halting this season of ingathering of souls. God is doing a mighty work. 
We had 101 first-time decisions last weekend on top of, uh, I don't know, something like 30 to 50 uh, rededications. That's just our church. Think of the hundreds of thousands of churches that gave in altar calls last weekend. How many more people are in the kingdom of God this week than two weeks ago? I mean, that's going on right now all over the world. It's a remarkable moment. It's a wonderful moment. And God is not about to let the harvest stop. Remember, the more the merrier. This is the God who said, be fruitful and multiply. God can relate to every person as though you were an only child. He can take billions. The more he, children he has, the more he likes it. He wants the absolute max. He will wait for the last soul in. That's his nature. The spirit of Antichrist has tried to take control many times over the centuries, like those mushrooms. It first expressed itself you know, as a worldwide empire, here you hear it first, in Genesis chapter 10. Uh, the name of the Antichrist at that point was Nimrod. Not Nimwit, Nimrod. And Nimrod rose up and he formed an empire that early. And it says he was a mighty hunter, which probably does not mean he was really good at getting gazelle. It probably means he killed men. He was a violent hunter of men. And he conquered what, what was a much smaller human population and then built a tower, if you recall, and said, we're going to all worship at this tower. Here we go again, violent empire persecute everybody, form a religion, pull them away from the true and living God and call them to begin to worship the stars and the moon and the sun off of this disgusting tower. How did God cope with it? What did he do? He confused their languages. Remember that? This was, this was a very tactical move. What he did, knowing people as we are, he separated us by language and the minute we are all different, we just dislike each other. I love people like me. I hate people like you. And, and so pfft, people pulled apart. He knew it would. And now what you have is you have different groups that begin to form so that when that Antichrist spirit pops up, there are always other cultures, other nations who will oppose it. We had an Antichrist in our own recent past here. His name was Adolf Hitler. There were probably a couple other wannabes with Mussolini and Stalin going at it at the same time. But Hitler really had it. You say, how could this man do what he did? He was fully possessed. How could the Germans believe this? A deluding spirit swept the land. I'm telling you, this is tougher than you realize. You're playing with the big boys. This isn't just people kind of getting a thing in their head. You're having a thing of fear and of delusion sweep over land and you're watching uh, whole nations begin to follow this thing and do horrible things that are beyond comprehension. And you think, the question now of the young generations in Germany and places is, how did you do that? Where were you? And, it, and everybody's kind of stammering trying to figure out where they were. The spirit of delusion was over that land. And thankfully, because God had divided cultures, Though you had the Axis, you had the allied nations, and they won with God's help. And that spirit was put down because it ain't time yet. He's not done with his harvest. But you got a little taste. As the end draws near, deception, blasphemy, persecution will grow stronger. The price that must be paid for loving the truth will grow higher. 
The earth will divide into extremes. The undecided middle will disappear. Fear and deception will force people to choose. Now, I want to talk about this term that he uses because Paul says the difference being there will be those on one side who love the truth and those on the other side who did not love the truth unto salvation, but in turn loved wickedness. What's the difference? What separates that? Character. We're talking really about a person's character, your integrity. And I want you to understand something. Your integrity is who you are. It is you. I don't think people realize that when you begin to sacrifice your integrity, you're not smart and you're not beating the system. What you're doing is you're dying with every lie. What was you is extinguishing with every lie, every deception, every caving in, every turning away from what you know to be right and going the easy path, the weak path, constantly saying yes to the thing when you know in your heart it's wrong. Something dies each time. Character is the accumulation of a lifetime of choices. And there are your choices. Nobody else makes these choices for us. We cannot blame anyone for our character. You can say, wait a minute. I was subjected to abuse and dishonesty and trouble around me. But you made the choices as to how you responded to the abuse and the dishonesty and the things that were around you. You chose how you responded. You can put two people in the same mess and one chooses one way and one chooses to handle it another way, don't they? That's character. And that's, by the way, what's going to stand at the judgment seat. You say, how could God judge people who've never heard the gospel? People have been making choices for the light or for the dark from the time they were born. We've all been making those choices. Character. Do I love the truth? Because if I love the truth, it can't simply be some vague affection for it. Loving the truth like Paul's talking about it here is loving the truth more than life itself. Remember those who overcame the, the devil? They did it by, the, by the, te- the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives unto death. In other words, they loved the truth, who is the way, the truth, and the life. They loved Jesus, and they loved the things of, that were true and right more than life itself, and nothing would pull them off. Men and women with that kind of character, men and women who are, who are committed to the truth of God, cannot be deceived. And I'm going to tell you some of the promises. God is completely committed to them, of course. We have, it's not just us versus, versus this spirit, but we have a part to play. And our part to play is to make the choice to love the truth more than anything else. Repentance. I said we had 101 receive the Lord, and, and I, the best I could, I led us in a prayer of sincere repentance. Remember that? And repentance meant... Not that I was sorry for bad things I did, but it was a fundamental change of mind. I changed my mind from being rebellious and self-reliant and living for myself. And I turned and I said, from this moment forward, my choice is to live for God. My choice is to know I need him in everything I do, to put my hand in his, to trust him as my heavenly father, and to walk an entirely new walk with God. Amen? Amen. 
That's repentance. And that general decision then begins to affect the specific choices I make in life. Because we make a foundational decision to obey God, we start making new and different choices, which in time reforms our character. Real repentance breaks into this pattern and gives me a new character. But it's formed again, decision by decision. If the decisions don't change, you haven't repented. It's as simple as that. Real repentance brings real change. Doesn't bring perfection. Doesn't mean you don't stumble. Doesn't mean you don't struggle with temptations and all of that. But there is a deep attitudinal change inside. And it will show its effect on our lives. There are foolish choices we make out of ignorance. You know, you just did something that was wrong and it was just dumb. You thought you were doing the right thing. And there are deliberate acts of defiance toward what we know is right. Why I do a thing makes all the difference in the world. I can, two people can do the same thing. One of them did it ignorantly. The other did it defiantly. The word for defiance like this, the, the Hebrew uh, uses this. It's sinning with a high hand and it means a fist in the air. Defiant. Nobody's going to tell me I can't do this. I know it's wrong. It's tough. And, of course, the defiance is at God. That defiance is a really dangerous game to play because you only have a limited amount of those. Listen to me. You don't have forever. And you don't have an infinite amount of those decisions. You can't just turn around anytime you want. Enough of those and something dies. Who knows where that line is? Only God you and I don't know. But there can come a moment where my ability to repent, my, my conscience dies, my ability to feel shame dies. Something of me is gone. You just don't want to go there. John 8, verse 34, Jesus says, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So sin each time puts one more link of, of, of bondage on me. He, he says in Matthew 18 that people, people can have ears that don't hear and eyes that don't see because of stubborn refusal to hear, stubborn refusal to see. Something dulls and dies in me. God, of course, is always trying to break through that. And there's a bunch of us sitting here right now who mercifully said, man, I did everything wrong, but God just nailed me one day and I'm so grateful for it. Aren't we grateful for his grace? His grace that shocks us. No, I have to say the other side of this thing, and that is I think God will even go after those, those hard cases. I've watched God pursue people right to the very last moment of their life. I've led people to Christ where they virtually came out of a coma just briefly to receive him and then go back. And so I'll tell you, the mercy of God is boundless. And his desire to save is boundless. But we do something very dangerous to ourselves when we play with our character. If you know, if you're going to do something, just do it honestly. If you're going to make a mess, it, I think it's better to, to not defiance against God, but say, I did it. It was wrong. I know I did it. That's far better than blaming and, and lying and covering things up. Just walk in your integrity. I want to, people who don't love the truth 
enough to die for their faith because that's what it comes to. Become vulnerable to deception. Fear of persecution, an environment filled with blasphemy and demonic miracles will mislead, if possible, Jesus says, even the elect. Last night before the uh, first service, Muhammad and I were talking about the evening and what he had experienced in Ethiopia and seen about persecution. There's a lot of churches that have been burnt recently and Christians are dying. But he told me one particular event that just chilled me and I thought I'd share it with you. He said there was a public bus heading out of town and they got out into the countryside and a group of Muslim insurgents stopped the bus in the road and said, all right, everybody get off the bus. And they said, now line up. And they had everybody line up there and, they, and this is what, here's what they said. They said, we all want you to pray uh, Muslim prayers. We want you to pray to Allah. And so everybody began to pray and they just went down the line and they just listened to you until they got to one Christian businessman who was on his way to do business in the next town. And he wouldn't pray to Allah, but to God. So they slit his throat and left him in the ditch. When he got on the bus that day, he had no idea that his love of the truth was going to be tested like that. He made his decision to love the truth, I guarantee you, a long time before that bus ride. He had long since decided how much he loved the truth. And so when that moment, that ugly moment came, there was no question for him. He knew probably what would happen. But he would not sell his soul for a few more days on this planet. How much do I love the truth? What kind of decisions and character have I been forming inside myself? I know this is grim in a sense, but I'm not trying to frighten you, but it is serious. We are moving toward the last days. And persecution, aggressive blasphemy on the front page in the Wall Street Journal. An article that not only now is there atheist groups, but they are becoming militant atheist groups. All through uh, Europe and places, they are beginning to become militant and aggressive. Blasphemy, persecution. All of these things are, and diluting miracles and, and, and seeing things happen are going to be coming increasingly around us. But those who love the truth can't be deceived. But they may pay a price. That's how much they love the truth. Listen to these promises. God protects those who love the truth. Who build their house, Jesus would say, on the rock. He says, though the wind and the storm beat against it, it'll not collapse. Romans 8 says this, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And what's the answer? 
Nothing, neither persecution nor, nor famine nor sword nor all of the stuff that comes against those who love the truth. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. His great arms are around us. Second Timothy 2, Paul says, he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I love that passage. He is able to guard that which I've entrusted. My soul, my life, my eternity, I've entrusted into him. And Paul wrote that as it was his last letter. In days, they're going to take him out, march him to the first milestone on the road to Ostia out of Rome, and the, and the, and the soldier will cut his head off. This truth-loving man. Jude one twenty four. he is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Where is that Ethiopian businessman right now? He is in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Matthew 28, 20. He is with you always, Jesus said, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5. He will never desert you, nor will he ever forsake you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Great strong arms surround us. The Spirit of the Lord is with us. But nobody but I can make the choice to love the truth because loving the truth comes with a price tag. I've talked about the most extreme kind of price tag, people who might die for their faith. But there's much more regular price tags. I might lose a job. I might lose a sale. I might embarrass myself. I might get in trouble with my wife. I might, there's all kinds of things. We're telling the truth loving the truth, or owning Jesus Christ faithfully will cause me to pay a price. may not be my life, but people, those who love the truth cannot be deceived. For the Lord will always give us his light. Those who do not love the truth, but choose instead to love wickedness and the pleasures of it, they'll find a deluding influence increasingly come and their own character will grow smaller and smaller. Jonathan led us in, in songs this morning that one after the other, did you hear it? Lord, I give you my life. I give you all of me. I give you everything. We sing it so freely and so beautifully and we have such a, such a wonderful moment. People, you and I live in one of the greatest generations it's ever been. You have a greater opportunity to serve Christ in your lifetime than any people on earth. You have more resources, more potential, more capacity to make a difference for Jesus Christ than any generation in history. You can look around and see the troubles, and they're there, and they're growing. The Bible says they will. But, you, but we aren't at the end yet. We're not there yet. I'm so glad. I don't want to... <laughs> I'm glad for the time I live in. I'm glad for an opportunity where we can send missionaries and every time we send missions out or whether they're going here and feeding the poor right on our own property or going down the street and caring for, for children, whatever is going on is bearing fruit for the Lord. We are in a great season. But that love of the truth starts now. It starts deep inside us. And that's what makes you so dangerous. That's why the devil and the world is so worried about you. Because you love the truth, even unto death.
You're a loyal American, but, you're, but you won't cave in on the truth. Politics and national loyalty and pride won't take the place. You have a higher king. You have a higher love. And that's why Christians are a danger and a worry to, to oppressive states and antichrist spirits all through history. Always we have been a problem. Always comes after the Jews and the Christians. Always. And it still will. But we aren't there yet. And we got a season. And I say, let's make a harvest while we got it. Let's live out the days we have. Let's live boldly we have. But I know personally, and I think you have too, I've made my decision. If they march me off a bus and they say, start praying, I'm going to say, our Father, which, is, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And I'll be with Jesus. Living God, we love you. You are the truth. What you offer is so precious, nothing the world can do compares. We thank you, Jesus, for taking us, putting your wonderful arms around us and keeping us safe and in your care. And yet, Lord, we make a deep decision, even today, as we come to this passage, we choose to love the truth above everything else, to love you above everything else. And we thank you for the strength and the discernment of spirit that that will give us. We have no fear of being deceived. For you, through your word and your spirit, will guide us into the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Blessed be our God, who is faithful shepherd to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. That's your prayer. Would you say amen? amen? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.